With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. P-S-N-Y. always my co-host chip murphy chip what's going on man how you doing i'm great man how are you doing well doing well nice solid start to the week uh as a giant fan um hating on the philadelphia eagles all week this week uh because of just the debauchery and uh just disgrace that went down sunday night screaming at my tv for about I don't know how many hours, but hey, that's that's the life of a six and ten Giants fan. I don't know. As a Jets fan, I loved watching that happen. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, but at least you get uh, you know, your your pick of the litter in terms of yeah. the top there, which is pretty nice. Um, but listen, uh, uh, keeping on with with our podcast and um, talking about current NBA topics, uh, we've kind of almost finished up our NBA A through Z series. Um, you know, it kind of congruent to that. We always want to bring on writers that we enjoy their writing. We're interested in their process. Part of doing this hoops podcast is really talking to a lot of different people from a lot of different areas of the industry, whether it's agents, writers, coaches, trainers, um, anyone. Uh, so tonight we are very, very pumped to have a very special guest on the podcast. Uh, contributor for for Empire Sports Media, um, Alder Amo. Alder, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, thank you for having me tonight. Uh, this is my first time to appear uh, to guest on a podcast, so please uh, bear with me. Absolutely, no. Listen, the pleasure is all ours, and I have a feeling, a strong feeling that this won't be your last podcast. I'm sure a bunch mm-hmm. of people will be reaching out to you based on all the the work that you've been doing, you know, the news that you've been breaking. Um, So me and Chip are big fans of your work. So trust me, the pleasure is all ours. We're we're happy to have you on tonight. Thank you, I'm honored. Um, So we're gonna start off with, um, you know, just a general question that we ask writers when they come on the podcast. Uh, Chip and I are both Knicks fans. We, We talk about the Knicks often. We'll be talking about the Knicks tonight. Uh, but we were talking a little bit before we started recording about um, just kind of the early history of, you know, the Knicks and when we started rooting for them and players that, you know, we kind of idolized or even just players outside of the Knicks that we kind of idolized and rooted for. Uh, so, Alder, that's kind of my first question to you. When did you start getting into the NBA, uh, the Knicks? Who were some of the players and teams that really followed, that you followed 
and really kind of grabbed you and brought you into the sport? Yeah, my first recollection of the NBA was uh, in the 90s. I was a fan of the Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So they've been, uh, they've been beating the Knicks in the playoffs. So I kind of know to this team, especially with the Patrick Ewing and John Starks, those teams, and Larry Johnson. Uh, I love their grittiness, uh, the way they, they fight and scrap and claw their way in the games, like their matchups with the Miami Heat, Alonzo Morning, those heated uh, rivalry. It's one of those my early memories of the New York Knicks. Yeah, I think whenever you mention uh, Alonzo Morning in the Miami Heat, I know Chip probably feels the same way. I just have that last second shot from Houston and then him running all the mm -hmm. way to the opposite end of the court and pumping his fist. Like, literally, I get chills thinking about that. Like, that's definitely one of my first memories. Yeah. And also when uh, Jeff Van Gundy was uh, clinging to the legs of, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that fist fight and that brawl. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a classic. That's a classic. You always have to include that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Alder, so where, um, I know, you know, we were saying before we kind of started recording, you had, you had moved, um, to, to Jersey city. What, what kind of got you interested into trying to get into, uh, the breaking news industry or, um, just journalism as it relates to, you know, sports writing and things of that nature? Yeah, I grew up in the Philippines. It's a basketball crazy country in, uh, in Asia. So that's where I started and. I was into sports writing already in my high school years. And then in college, uh, I became a sports editor of our campus paper in, in our university back in the Philippines. Then gradually, I, I kind of loved the, the, the writing part. And because I was a frustrated bowler because I didn't grow up so tall to, to be in the varsity team. That's why I, I got to find a way to watch and of course uh, live out my, my dream to, to be in the sports industry. That's, that's kind of started then. I, I became a writer for one of the uh, sports TV channel in the Philippines, the biggest net sports network. Now it's there, they're tied up with ESPN uh, currently. And then I, I work also with uh, one of the national dailies in the Philippines for their website. And then when the NBA when the NBA got into the Philippines way back in 2011, 2012, they, they started the NBA website for the Philippines. So I got a, became one of their uh, assistant editors. Yeah, that's, that's my introduction to, to NBA. Basically, but I'm, but I'm an NBA fan growing up. Then when I moved to here to US like three years ago, and then I want to continue my profession. Uh, that's why I tried to to contribute to and search for websites or how can I how can I break into the sports industry here? Of course, uh, the Philippine setup is it's a little bit the same, but it's it's far more. It's like going back to zero when when you start in another place in another country. So I have to network and to start start from ground up to to reach out more people that that's 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 what the, one of the best things uh that i've learned in this industry is to always shoot your shot yeah that's where i basically started i think uh i think that's very well said um and you know from what we've been seeing i mean a big reason that we reached out to you is that i think i noticed 
uh, in the summer and maybe a little bit before um, some of the news stories that you'd been breaking, especially when it is concerning uh, the Knicks front office staff, people they, they, they were adding to the staff. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, you know, your tweets coming up and, and then there being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of like a short afterwards by some of the other writers as well. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, and so I guess one of the questions I was going to ask you around that area was, uh, what would, do you remember, I, I know there's been a few, but do you remember what is the first news story related to the Knicks um, that you broke or that you tweeted about? Yeah, the first one was the Sean McLean hiring. Uh, I was just scrolling on my LinkedIn uh, network, then I come, I kind of, uh, so one of uh, Alex Klein, if you if you know him, he's uh, he's now on scout for the for the Knicks. Right. I used to attend his symposium on on uh, Zoom Zoom symposium with a uh, Merrick Klein classic when during the pandemic. So I kind of uh, networked with him, and and uh, he was still with the Pelicans at that time. But uh, but when he jumped to the Knicks. We're no longer talking about because of the sensitivity of his work and the nature of uh, uncovering the Knicks now. So there's there's a fine line between that. I, I used to reach out to him to ask for uh, some things, but of course because of, of because he's he's associated with the Knicks already, so I kind of stopped. But then I saw him liking a tweet from uh, congratulating uh, Sean McLean. That's the first thing that. Uh, my instinct was to tweet it, and but I didn't know that it's going to blow up like that. So I tweeted, uh, I tweeted that night, and then I started uh, getting notifications, and I was like, "Oh my God, what did I do?" <laughs> so th that that all started. My my, uh, it's kind of like uh, what they call it, but I know it's it's like my introduction to to New York basketball and to the New York basketball fandom in, in the city. And what is that feeling like, you know, when you, when you uh, put something out there like that, you see that it gets a, a lot of attention and, and you also see kind of like how also the fans, and you obviously know you've been following the NBA for a long time, but mm -hmm. how the fans really connect and uh, really gravitate to any type of breaking news, right? Like it's so crazy to me that in sports, we get so crazy over – literally a hiring right like uh -huh. if it was any yeah. other fortune 500 company no one would go crazy over oh they just added this guy mm -hmm. to the support staff or something like that but in basketball it's like we hear of a scout and it's like oh my god you know like we've got to know about his history and what mm -hmm. he does and what he can bring to the team so what did that kind of feel like when you tweeted that out there and you saw like oh wow this is this could be a future for me but also you know this is kind of this is so big here as well. Yeah, I, I was really shocked and surprised because it's just a minor hiring to in my in my perspective, in my view, it's just a, a little news. But I didn't know that it was me who, who first tweeted it. And then all of a sudden they've been tagging the beat writers. And it felt a little awkward for me during when, when they were tagging. I feel like, uh, oh no, I guess it's 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 not a is it a negative thing to do that 
to to I don't want to jump over some guys or you know just to get into the industry. That's why I was a, a little bit a, a little bit nervous at that time. But at the same time, I'm happy that 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 news was. I guess during that time, Knicks fans are starving for news or craving for news because there's no games. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's that's my instinct then. One of the beat writers at that time, Jonathan Macri, uh, he was still with the uh, SI Sports Illustrated that time. Uh, DM'd me and said, uh, "Nice pick up, something like that." And then that's when it hit me that this might be something that I can, I can get into. That that boosted my confidence really. To I guess I mean I'm onto something. Yeah, because what I first noticed uh, your work was, I, and I think I reached out to you too, was the uh, profile you did on Isaac Okoro before yeah. the draft. That was just excellent. You talked to, I think, his his uh, agent or trainer mm-hmm. and his dad. Mm-hmm. It was just really well done. So what was uh, what was that like interviewing like a, a draft, pro- like just getting that close to that prospect, stuff like that? Yeah. At first, my instinct was uh, try to reach out to as many as many people in this industry as in the industry that I know. So I tried to reach out and introduce myself. I'm writing like this. I'm writing for this website. If you want me to, I, I'm I'm thinking I, I'm just going to pitch the story that I have in mind. But of course, I I'm not just uh, I don't want to be labeled just like uh, just as a newsbreaker, but I'm really into profiling people. I want to know the background or giving context why why they're playing like this, why they grew up like to become like a superstar or their mindset. I want to get into that. That's why I try to reach out on the people around these guys to get to know them better. Because we all know we see the product on the floor. We we of course because of the of this social media. We all know when they when they have interviews, the sound bites, we hear them, but we don't know what's what's behind those sound bites, what's what's behind those perspective, and and their views on on topics. That's what I want to know. That's that's why when when the drop that became uh, like a, a a platform for me to to reach out as many as because since. Since the draft prospects are more approachable during those times, rather than having to reach out to the agents of the superstars in the league, that's what uh, that's what my thinking at that time. What um, I'm sorry, Chip. Oh no, go ahead. Oh. I was gonna say uh, with the coral, what um, because I know you know sometimes when when Chip and I have people on the podcast you know, we do our research and we try and ask questions that we think are going to spark, you know, really good conversation. You know, sometimes we may ask questions that, um, you know, if we're talking to a support staff about a prospect, we want to know about their weaknesses. And sometimes it's, you know, we, we, I, I guess our biggest worry is always that someone is going to maybe get like slightly offended or upset if we ask them about, mm-hmm you know, weaknesses of a, of a player that they work with and that they know um, and that they support. Were there any questions that you asked um, in that interview that you were worried to ask or did you feel, you know, I, I think everything's going to be fine with this? 
Yeah, there was one time when uh when during the, our conversation when we shifted to teams, what I learned is that because they want uh they don't want to be associated to just one team with all the prospects. That's why you have to ask general questions rather than go into specifics. Like you want just to ask Nick's questions. What did the Knicks uh want about them? So you have to ask uh, also about the other teams. That's the process that that I've been through uh, during interviewing some of the prospects and their agents. And I guess always my intention is to pitch the story that I would like to to present them that uh, I would like the fans to know more about you growing up, about your psyche, about your mindset, not just your basketball skills. That's what I want to, to always write. And that's what I want to pitch to them then. And sometimes they're okay with it. And sometimes they have their own uh, topics that they want. And so we just have to find a balance. And your most recent story that you just published is about uh, the new Quivers backcourt, which everyone Mm -hmm. is talking about right now. So I wanted to, of course, bring that up. Uh, Emmanuel quickly and Austin Rivers. So got to ask for your take on quickly and Rivers. Yeah, I kind of went during the draft process. Uh, I was talking to his trainer, uh, G- Coach Gide. I hope I hope I pronounce it right. Uh, actually, I was talking to him. I I, I was I, I supposed to have an interview with him this afternoon, but something came up. Maybe tomorrow, and we're talking about uh, his childhood, and I guess during the quarantine during the, the drop process, he was just like 15 minutes or five minutes away from a gym, from their house. So that's where he's training and he's doing it every day. I, I think it's like, if I remember it correctly, it's twice or thrice a day that he's been working out. And the one thing that stuck to me when, when we were talking was because I didn't know quickly at first. So when I started researching about him and I saw his numbers, and during his freshman year, he wasn't like a, a, a big name in Kentucky. And then uh, I saw his numbers in the Team USA. He was just one of those guys. But during those conversations, Coach Jade told me that, you know, when, when, he, when you go to school like Kentucky, you have to sacrifice. Then that's where I got the context because he was playing with two other guards at that time. Tyrese Maxey and the other guy, I forgot. Uh, I, the last name, the surname escaped me. So it was a three-guard lineup. Then when I when I had a chance to talk to Coach John Califari during one of their uh, Zoom calls with the media, so I asked him about uh, quickly, and that's what he told me, that it took him some time before he was inserted in the starting five, but it was, it was obvious that he has the talent to, to join the backcourt of Kentucky at that in his sophomore year. That's one of those uh, reasons that give me an optimism when the Knicks drafted drafted him. I, I, I saw it's like when Coach Carl told me like he's like a Jamal Murray or one of those Kentucky guards who were like held back during their time at Kentucky. And when you have the space and the freedom in the NBA, suddenly they, they're going to explode. I guess that's what's happening to... Emmanuel right now because he's being uh, used as a point guard rather than 
more on the off guard when he was used in Kentucky. Just staying on um, quickly there because he's such a fascinating player uh, for us to watch. One thing that really stands out to me, and, and you hear it in the press conferences, is his poise. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the way he carries himself, the way he talks about his success, it feels like, at least from watching him, there's a really sincere confidence that he has. And it doesn't come off uh, across as arrogant or anything like that. Just a very sincere confidence. Um, and he always keeps saying, he, he keeps giving credit to his teammates, the coaching staff. And he's always saying that, you know, I think we're, do, we're ready to do something special here. When you talk to his trainer, what, what did he tell you about quickly the man off the court? Um, in terms of his attitude, his approach to the game, because I think fans that are just getting to meet him now have been really impressed with what they've seen in that area. Yeah, because uh, Emmanuel grew up in a Christian family. I think his father is a pastor and his mother's like, uh, I think she was a former player in college. Mm. So that's where his confidence uh, come from because he's used to being in the church he used to play, uh, he's a standout actually. Uh, I think he plays the piano or organ, something like that. He's into music instruments before he, he loved basketball. And he was, and he was, when he was a kid, his mother coached him in one of those leagues. Actually, they shielded, they shielded him from basketball during his childhood. Because uh, from, what, from what I understand, his mother, uh, doesn't want to introduce quickly to basketball at an early age. But when when Emmanuel likes to play basketball, that's when, okay, I'm going to coach. Actually, his mom is uh, his first coach. And also his father, I think he doesn't approve of uh, Emmanuel playing basketball at that time because it's a physical contact sport. And, and I don't know if you have, if you have, I've come to know the story that during his college, I think he just watched him like once, twice. It took him some time before watching him live. And then he watched him live. And, and during that time, I, I think Emmanuel uh, hit clutch free throws. At that time, he was talking to, his, to Emmanuel's grandfather, relaying play by play what's happening on the court and what Emmanuel is doing. And then that's when he teach him that oh, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna watch my kid play. That's pretty amazing. So it sounds like you know it, there there's a hesitance at first um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, having him play a contact sport, um, but then you know just because Emmanuel excels and is is so good, then the family gets on board and and you get to a position where we are now, um, you know, essentially where he's, he's one of the bright young stars of the Knicks fans want him in the starting lineup. Um, you know, based on what you've seen from quickly so far, do you think he should be in the starting lineup, um, soon? Uh, do you think, you know, it will, it will happen this season? Uh, what, what's kind of your take on that? I guess it's fine running the, the second unit for now. Because uh, I guess, of course, we've seen his confidence and his poise playing like a veteran and running the backcourt and the spacing and he knows his instincts. 
uh, he knows when to pass and when to shoot. But I guess when he's going to be much up against like the, the the starting point guards, I don't know if if he'll be able to do what he's doing right now. So I guess his partnership with uh, Austin, it's like Austin goes to defend like last night he defended uh, Trey Young and quickly got the other guard. So it's more like more balance. So quickly does the offense. Uh, Rivers uh, took care of the defense, defensive assignments of guarding the best player. Although we've seen at times he guarded like Trey Young for like two, three possessions and he did okay. He stripped the ball. and But I don't know if he can do that in really big stretch, but that might take away his uh, playmaking and offensive game synergy on the other end of the court. Mm. So I guess he's fine right now running the, the second unit. But unless uh, Alfred Patton regress like like the way he did in, in Philadelphia game, then that's maybe Tibbs can insert him and maybe let's let's give it a try to to have Emmanuel run the, the point in the starting unit. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that quick I mean quickly's played three games, you know, mm-hmm. and he's played, you know, twelve minutes, fifteen minutes, and nineteen minutes in those three games. So he, I mean he's never he's never played starters minutes before. He looks like a starter when he's out there though, which is why obviously you're like, let's put him into the starting lineup. But it's I think it's kind of hard to after a, a few uh twenty minute games tops to say, okay, let's throw him right into the starting lineup against, like you said, against the starting point guards of the world. Like, we're recording this after the Atlanta win. Like, we're going up against Utah next game. He'd be rolling out there guarding Mike Conley, who's playing some of the best basketball of his career right now. That's right. So, I mean, it'd be a great test to see if that's what you want to say. And I, I wouldn't be firmly against that. But uh, he could also get smoked by a veteran like Mike Conley. It's so funny too, Chip, that you bring that up because I, I, as soon as you said that, like David Fisdale's voice was in my head mm-hmm. because, you know, he would be like talking to the media, be like, well, listen, he's like, got to put him in the fire, you know, like this is the test he's, he's, he's got to take, you know? And it's just like, it's so funny too. You almost think you perceive because of Tibbs and the way that he's perceived, like that he would have that old school take. Well, you know, they got to, got to face him sometimes, but it's interesting as, as old school as he seems or as his reputation has been. Um, I think he's been fairly modern with some of his lineups and some of the spacing um, and uh, even playing like, you know, Randall at the five, you know, trying to, and then maybe even with quickly trying to bring him along with his minutes as well. Suck with quickly played him the whole fourth quarter. Didn't go back to Peyton. Peyton, That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, Alder, another question I wanted to ask you. So we talked about quickly, who's probably one of the biggest surprises thus far. What else has surprised you about this Knicks team? When you think about the first seven games, you know, what really stands out to you? I guess I'm surprised with Coach Tibbs uh, because we've known him like when he was in Chicago and Mini. He likes to play the veterans, but now, he loves playing the rookies. Like, uh, I don't know if it's by design or by, 
or he was forced to because because of the injuries. But we've seen him like Emmanuel is now the backup of Alfred. I don't know what will happen when Dennis Smith and Frank will come back. I think it's gonna be uh Emmanuel who will who will back up uh Peyton. I don't know if DSJ or Frank will have to will have to leapfrog him or will have to fight for that second unit spot. So that that's that's most interesting uh about this team is they're all buying into coach the system and they you gotta you gotta love how they share the ball. That's one of the the interesting part of the Knicks. You've seen them like the first up last last night, the first up was you know they exploited the matchup with John Collins and, and Julius Randall. So they went to Randall at the post. And then the second half, the second half when when they started to hit their outside shots, that's when they got to share the ball. I guess uh coach Tibbs is playing with the matchups rather than having like a traditional lineup with you have to play like this, you have to play with uh, two big two bigs. When we he used to have that in mini with Dodge and uh cat, but now he's trying to play with the small ball. Although Knicks are last, I I guess they're in the cellar when it when it comes to pace, but when quickly is on the court, he's pushing the pace. But when Alfred is on the court, I think that's where they play half court basketball. So I guess it depends on the style or the matchup uh, Tibbs is looking for. So that will depend on who who will have to use. I think the, this first until like 20 games is still mixed and matching up who's going to play or who's going to stop in, in, the, in the second unit, of course, with, also, with all those injuries. That's going to be really interesting to see what happens when all these guys come back from injury, what Tibbs does, because we know he's going to keep a short rotation. So what's mm-hmm. going to happen with Frank and DSJ, obviously, and then Burks too, and it's gonna. It's hard to imagine Burks won't be in the rotation. Ob too, man. I, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's gonna be an interesting one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's hard to imagine Burks and Obi won't get playing time. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Um, mm-hmm. I guess a, a, another one, Alder. So it's a, it's kind of a piggyback on the last question, but um, you know we've we've seen a lot of Tibbs large sample size in two other. Uh, locations, whether it was Minnesota and, and Chicago. And there's positives there and there's negatives, right? There's playing, yeah. there's playing players, a lot of minutes running people down, um, maybe playing, relying heavily on veterans too much. But especially in Chicago, I think my favorite attribute about Tibbs is that even when there were main injuries, oh, well, injuries to the main guys like Derek Rose or anyone else, um, Tibbs found ways to win with the people that were on his roster and he kind of transfused or, or in, you know, um, gave his team the, the belief that they could win regardless of who they were playing against. And to me, that's kind of the magic of Tibbs. That's kind of what I saw last night. And when you hear about, 
um, in the press, Julius Randle talking about we believe yeah. in win. That's that's to me where it all comes from. So I guess what I want to ask you is, do you think this will last? Like, do you think the magic with Tibbs is real? Do you think that some of these players are maybe just shooting? Um, you know, it's an aberration. Maybe they're just shooting really well or playing really well based on their history and it'll come back down or what do you think will happen? I guess when everything, uh, when everyone is back uh, in the lineup with, when, when the Knicks are healthy, I guess the minutes will go down, especially with Julius and, and RJ, because we all know Burks is going to, to play uh, more minutes, will eat up some minutes of RJ and OB will eat up some minutes uh, into Julius, so I guess it's it's going to balance out when when they're all back in the lineup. So my my guess is my best guess is that uh, they will play hard. That's one thing. One thing's for sure. They will really play hard and be competitive. But I just want to see them how they will match up with like the Lakers, uh, the Clippers team, uh, all those playoff teams because we've beaten Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if it's if that's a gauge because it's still too early in the season where they have a holiday, they have some deep guys like Bobby. So I don't know if they're still adjusting. So I have, let's see when it comes to March, I guess, to see if this, if they can sustain this type of, uh, uh, competitiveness in them. It's a long season, and with the way they're playing, I just don't know if they can sustain it unless they're really healthy. I think it's asking a lot of Julius Randle to continue to average 22 points, shoot 50% from the field, and shoot 40% from three. I don't think an average 11 rebounds and seven assists. I don't. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up that length but i think a lot of these guys can keep doing that like uh, jo- uh zach Lowe was talking about it on his podcast today with richard jefferson and like he was saying rj barrett can he continue averaging 18 points a game yeah he can do that why can't mm-hmm. why couldn't he keep doing it? he makes it look easy pretty much every night he's reached that total except when he's just been completely awful but he seems like he can average 18 points a game like on a consistent basis um, outside of that, I mean, Austin Rivers, can he average 10 points a game? Obviously. Yeah, he could do that. He could definitely. Yeah. Um, Alfred Payton shooting 42% from three, averaging 13.6 points per game. Uh, maybe a little unlikely, but Alec Burks averaging 20.7. That's probably going to go down, but still not worried about that. Um, the one thing I am worried about is their offense still stinks. Yeah. And... You know, they're 27th and made threes. Uh, I, I, I'm worried that's going to catch up to them at some point. They're winning games like, again, they were talking about this on, on low post. Uh, they're winning games with their defense right now. Their defense has been awesome. But at some yeah. point, it's going to catch up to them that their offense isn't very good. Yeah. So I, I'm worried about that. That's a good point, Chip. And I think, too, like, you know, I don't know if teams are also used to, like, seeing the Knicks play this hard as well. I'm sure once people, you know, catch film around the first couple go arounds, they'll adjust uh, and, and Tibbs will kind of have to go back to the drawing board. But uh, Alder, another player I wanted to ask you about 
and Chip was just kind of um, highlighting, you know, averages and who's been doing well. Uh, an interesting player for me is Kevin Knox, you know, a player that um, pretty much every night, depending on the minutes he's out there, looks like he's either completely lost or like he's finally figured it out. Um, you know, they obviously brought in Kenny Payne over the summer. It seems like they really want to invest in him. Ultimately, and, and I know we still have a lot of season left, but, you know, what what do you think um, will be Kevin Knox's ultimate role with the Knicks? You know, do you think he can become a starter? Do you think um, he's maybe best suited off the bench in, in some of those catch-and-shoot roles that he's been doing well in? Um, and where, where do you think he needs to improve? Yeah, if you if you notice his his best games when he's with uh quickly on the floors. That's why I love I love uh Knox to be in the second unit. I don't see him as a starter at this point because he's a little bit inconsistent when you when you see him like when he's hitting his shots. His energy is great on defense, but when he's not hitting his shots, I don't know. Sometimes he's he's lost. So maybe. That's that's the enigma of uh, Kevin is his motor really. Uh, it's like there's a switch on and switch off when he's when he's on, it's okay. But when he switch off, oh, I I don't know how to describe nuts on on the court. So maybe Kenny Payne can can still uh work on his game, but I just don't see him like going to be starter in the near future with the way he's been playing so far. The interesting thing to me about it too, is like, let's say this, I mean, I guess the, the conversation becomes more interesting to me is let's say Kevin Knox is playing the same up until the trade deadline, meaning that, you know, he has some good games and, and some games where he's still not playing well. Um, does he get traded? at that point, you know, is that maybe something that the organization starts to think about because they will have, um, you know, two draft picks coming up and, you know, at some point you have to think about how many young guys can you conceivably develop on one 15 man roster. Chip, what do you think about that? Do you think there's any chance at all that Knox gets traded before the deadline or at the deadline? Um, what, what, what could you see as his role? Of course, it's possible if he keeps doing this. I mean, he's basically a spot-up shooter right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, like 55% three-point attempt rate, something like that, and he's shooting 33% on threes. So if he keeps going at that rate and shooting a, major a majority of his shots are threes and below league average on threes, then, yeah, they might move on from him for sure. Kentucky or no Kentucky, Kenny Payne or no Kenny Payne. They could definitely move on from him, right? I think. I would... guess just, just to add on, uh, yeah. yeah, just to add on uh, on that is that uh, I guess from based on on their initial case, it's RJ and Emmanuel. Those are the young pieces that's been playing well and should be in their future. Uh, Obi, I don't know if how will he play this season. We still have we still have seen. Uh, we've seen just flashes of him. So I guess Kevin, he has to really uh, like 
explode in that second unit to to be considered a part of the future of the of the Knicks. That's the thing about Knox, Jeff. You kind of alluded to it. There's it's not as much about him as it is there's other young guys that are so much more of a priority ahead of him now. And now you add quickly to that too. And you probably put Toppin ahead of him too, even though you've only seen mm-hmm. a game of him. Like he's just not a priority like he used to be. Yeah. yeah. I think uh I think that's a really good point. And it, it's funny too. Um Aldo, you brought up Toppin. One thing I wanted to ask you about him as as someone who I know interviewed some of these prospects and obviously did a lot of research on them. Um, I was a really big Obi Toppin guy, you know, before the Knicks drafted him coming out of the draft. But I, I was very also aware of the the negatives, you know, the 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 fact that he was older, his lateral foot speed is not great, the the center of gravity, um, the defense is obviously a, a huge negative, but um, going into the, the draft process, were, were you particularly high on top? And was there anything in your research that you felt like, oh, this would, this would be a good fit with the Knicks, or maybe were there other players that you were higher on? Yeah, during the draft process, uh, one of my favorites is Tyrese Halliburton, because uh, the Knicks need a point guard. So, and then they have Julius Randle. So I was a little bit, I, I wasn't shocked at during the draft day per se that uh, they got Toppin because Toppin uh, OB because uh, he fell from fifth to eighth spot and he's he's the best player available at that time for me. So I guess that's that's a no brainer to pick him. But <clears throat> when the Knicks are looking to trade up to to get him, I just didn't know at that time if it's worth another pick to move up for OB at that time. But when I've seen him play, there's some flashes, but I want I want Coach Tibbs to use him in the post rather than be a, a spot-up shooter like the way he was used in the, pre- in the preseason games. So I guess uh, that's, that's his strength is to play at the post. And and he loves to pass. That's, that's the one thing that I love with OB's game. He loves to pass. So with, when... When he's getting adjusted, like the way when when he sees when you see Julius play, uh, starts in the post and then he looks for the open man. If Obi plays like that, then I guess he'll he'll reach his potential. Yeah, I think um, it, it's so interesting. I think what you said about putting him in the post because you do have to take advantage of his playmaking, right? And I do think mm-hmm. that if you put him out on the three-point line, he's not someone who's going to really blow by anyone on the dribble. So you're really banking on the fact that the ball is going to move around a lot and and, and you'll find him. Um, his percentages haven't been that great. I think the only thing that concerns me about top and shooting is that when he misses, it's really, really off. Like mm-hmm. he literally hits the the backboard or, or something like that. And when he makes it, it's it's like the most beautiful shot you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see how that works out, but I do love the idea of playing him in the post. I like his kind of baby hook jumper. It, it's not that bad. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because he's not particularly kind of like thick down low in the legs. It's going to be interesting to see how much position he can hold against NBA centers and if he can back them down to kind of get in position. But 
the biggest reason I love playing him in the post is taking advantage of that playmaking. When anyone doubles him, I, I have no doubt in my mind. I watched enough of his college tape. He is a really, really, really good passer. And he's willing too. He's not someone, um, like you said, he's not going to be ball dominant. He's not going to look for his points. He's confident, but he wants to make the right basketball play. And I think that's, that's probably one of the most important things when it comes to Toppin. Yeah. So I guess uh, it depends on what they plan on Obi when he, when he comes back because they love to play him with Julius. They want to see how it works, but I don't see it working. Obi and Julius on the floor together, I don't see it working. Yeah, I don't know, because we had a much different opinion of Julius when uh, when Obi got hurt, and now we, we have a totally different opinion of Julius Randle now. Mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. know what to think, but it's it's also a lot more about the defensive fit, I think, than the offensive fit. Like, can what would a what would a center do with those two in the front court? I don't really know if it would work that way anyway. Yeah, I guess if if it's Obi in there and then Nerlens, I guess that's that's gonna be something to uh to watch out. If you have like. Norris will take care of the offense, the defense, and Obi will take care of the offense to to hide him on 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 defensive assignments. Maybe that's that's gonna be like the way the way Julius is playing right now. He's really lock lock it up the the starting job. So Obi will have to play with Emmanuel, Kevin Knox, and Nerlens in the, the second unit. Yeah, I think Obi's gonna come off the bench probably for the rest of the year because now we know Randall's not getting traded. So I think Obi's going to be coming off the bench for sure. I think, and I think that's best for him, honestly, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I know he's, he's older. So I think everybody assumes that he's NBA ready. And and I think he is um, from a skill set standpoint, but you know, even you heard quickly say the other night, you know, I think Clyde and Mike Breen asked him, what's different about the NBA game. And, and he said a lot. Um, he said, but I'm still having fun. Even Toppin who played at a high level at Dayton, um, a, a really, really efficient, you know, pick and roll spread offense. He's still going to have a lot of t- hard times adjusting. And you saw it in preseason. Like there were times where he looked very much lost and it's funny, Chip, it kind of brought back when we had the assistant coach, um, on the podcast, and he said, "Coach, I'm really scared. I don't know what to do." He said, "Just, just run hard. Just run and play hard." And that that looked like what he was doing with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. You see him when you see him diving out in the stands for balls or running on a baseline. That literally looks like what he's doing. It's it, it looks like he doesn't have a full grasp, and he's just running and playing hard. He's trying to get rebounds. He's trying to get blocks. And then when he's open, he's shooting. He doesn't have a full idea of what he wants to do on the court yet, which is understandable. Which is why he will play his best ball with quickly too, because he'll play in the fast break and that's where Toppin will thrive right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And then um, Alder, I also wanted to ask you about uh, Mitchell Robinson, you know, another player that, that is high on the, the Knicks hierarchy of, of hopefully someone who might get extended. First, I want to go back a little bit. Um, do you think that the Knicks should have um, given him an extension over the summer? Uh, or do you think they made the right decision in, in kind of waiting and, 
seeing how uh, this year went. We've already seen that he's improved. Uh, so I know it, it, it might be slightly difficult to answer that question, but do you think they did the right thing? I think they did the right thing because uh, that they they got to preserve the, their the cap space. I think that's that's the scenario that they've been looking into, and and also they want to see him how how will he how will he respond to Coach Tibbs' coaching? Because we've all we've all heard all the uh, allusion about his uh, the professionalism and everything. I don't know, I don't know if that's. Uh, there's really a smoke into that, or it's just a smoke screen. But we've seen how he's responded, and he won the, the starting job. And even when he's not really uh, shining on the offensive side, we've seen him like last night. He got four steals, two blocks, and he didn't fall out. I guess the discipline is responding well to to coach Kenny Payne and to coach Tibbs coaching. That's what I see, and I think he's luck up to be extended next next summer. And um, and also too, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, it's it's he's a lot of things that he's doing well we've seen before, um, but you know the the kind of reining in the fouls things like that. Um, I've definitely seen an improvement in that area, which has been nice. Um, you know, the, the other thing too, it sometimes Mitch and you can't blame him. I mean, he's a young kid, you know, he just gets too, too into it. I feel like the moment kind of gets a hold of him sometimes. Um, and there was a particular play last night in the Atlanta game. I forget who was driving against him. I might've been Cam Reddish or, or Deandre Hunter, but I remember literally he's on the basket and whoever it was is driving right into his chest and initiating contact. It was uh -huh. a good no call by the ref, but I feel like Mitch, he, he often gets deep into jumping or, or putting his body more on the player in those situations. Like if he feels the initiation, then all of a sudden he goes back really quickly. And I feel like that's where a lot of his kind of ticky tack fouls come from, but it, it was really in a clutch situation last night to see him not get drawn into that, just have his hands up. And again, the ref did a good job, you know, not calling it. I thought that was really nice to see as well. Yeah, I guess that's that's the one thing that the, this coaching staff has worked on on which game is he's not playing with his with his feet uh, rather than having his hands. Like the blocks, I guess the blocks are down because he's playing with his body right now and not just uh, jumping and going for all, all the time for the block. I guess the fundamental the fundamental work. Uh, the, the footwork they've been working on that and i guess it's it's uh it's very evident in these first few games the way mitch has been defending the post uh of course sometimes he's been caught with those tiki tack fouls but i guess he's he's getting along fine yeah the fouls are down minutes are up fouls are down that's yeah. what you look at with mitchell robinson <laughs> Minutes are up, fouls are down. So I mean, you're you're excited about that, and you figure the as the games go on, the blocks will go up, and he looks to show flashes that'll be more active on offense. Because there have been games when he disappears on offense at times, but uh, you know that I think that's just 
you know, sometimes Peyton doesn't get him involved enough yeah. on offense and just doesn't throw him enough lobs. And that, that just happens. You know, he's, he's a big man. The, the point guard needs to get him involved on offense that he needs to be thrown lobs. So sometimes that just doesn't happen, but yeah, I think eventually, you know, he averaged 9.7 last year. I think he can do that again. So yeah, I, I think Mitch is going to be fine. And I think his, if anything, his scoring is going to go up from last year and probably his rebounds too. His he's been, that was obviously a big issue for him the past two years was uh, as much as the, the fouls was an issue, the rebounding was a problem too. And that has not been as much of an issue as it was the past two years. So that's been really promising too. Mitch I've been really impressed with because he was the one player that I think most people were concerned about with Tibbs coming in was Mitch. Yeah. Um, Alder, what, la- last one for me. Um, with the Knicks, if you had – if you had a prediction prior to the beginning of the season about how many wins they were going to get, um, what was it? And has that changed after the first seven games? Yeah, I, I was looking at them to win like 25 in the range of 25 games. But right now, with the way they're playing, I don't know if it's sustainable or it's just the element of surprise, but if they remain competitive and give themselves a chance to win at the end, at the end of each game, maybe they can go as high as, I guess, in the mid-30s or or 31 to maybe 30 to 35 range. I, I think that's really fair. Um, I know I was around the 25 range, and based off what I've seen, you would have to increase it, you know, just based off mm-hmm. what we've seen. But I also... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat in the sense that I'm not 100% sure how sustainable it is. This, this is such a great feeling to watch them now and how they're playing. We also know that the NBA is, uh, is, is a game of adjustments and people will figure out what you do well and they'll try and attack it and what you don't do well. Um, Knicks are not guarding the three line well at all, uh, with the exception of the corner three, I think. So you would hope that that gets a little bit better, but teams will definitely figure out how to exploit that. But I think that's a really fair uh, and honest take. I think around 31 to 35 based on what we've seen, but it could all change in a week. Um, Chip, do you have any other questions for Alder? I don't know. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Before we finish up, uh, just if you can let people listening know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work, if there's anything you're working on right now and you want to promote, uh, please do so. Yeah, you can find all my write-ups at empiresportsmedia.com. And you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my name, Alder Almo. It's also my username. So please uh, check out check out everything that I, I write about the Knicks. Sometimes I also write about the Nets or general NBA or it, it depends on the topics that, that comes with, uh, within reach for me. So I guess you know, uh, please also listen and subscribe to this podcast. Oops, oh, thank you, man. Yeah. Oh, we appreciate that. We appreciate that for sure. Uh, please follow, follow Alder on Twitter. Read all his amazing work at Empire Sports Media. Once again, man, really the pleasure is ours. We really thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak some ball with us you have an open invitation anytime you want to come back on the podcast uh please please feel welcome thank you thank you
All right. And uh, to everybody else listening, uh, we hope everybody is staying safe and we will talk to you soon.